Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Hey guys, this is Ruben from Dub, the video communication platform. We are on Connection Loop, our podcast, and we have Paul Higgins actually on with us, who has a really interesting story. We actually connected on LinkedIn, and we were sort of hovering around some some content. Uh, Paul was putting some really interesting kind of thought leadership pieces out there on video and best practices and kind of some cool ways to streamline calm and just sort of get a message across over the line. So I was kind of connected to his message and his vibe. So, of course, I invited him onto the show, and he's got a very interesting firm. I love the name, Build, Live, Give. So, it's a cool little triad there. I'd love to hear your story. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on, Ruben. So, uh, look, my story started when I was uh, very young. I, my father worked for a company called Coca-Cola, and um, I basically helped him do everything as a young kid and went through uni working there and, and always was told that I was never able to work there full time and um, circumstances changed and 18 years later I was the director of Coca-Cola and you know it was a great company um, not a particularly uh, the product became less fashionable certainly uh, in Australia with uh, sugar but it was a great product but I uh, had a health condition and um, yeah needed to make a choice uh, do I uh, go to a major surgery earlier or later and I, I chose to leave Coke live a different lifestyle and uh, delayed the surgery a little. So, wow. So, I mean, that, that's sort of a wake up call when you, when you go through something like that, you know, you're living a certain life and you have certain responsibilities and you got to do certain things. And then life says, Hey, you know what, you're going to go in this direction, you know? And what was that like for you when you, when you discovered that, when you realized you need to sort of pivot? Yeah, look, it was, um, I suppose it was pretty, it, it was a, uh, gradual, a gradual decline. So at 18, I knew that I had the condition. It's called polycystic kidney disease. And cysts grow in your kidneys, which basically just end your function. So um, my family, it's a 50-50 at birth. So, you know, most of my family had it. So I was aware of it, but it wasn't at the forefront. It really didn't impact me. But uh, back in 2009, my kidney function got to, you know, under 30%. And uh, yeah, I wasn't feeling great. And it started to become... A bit more of an issue and um, you know my nephrologist who you know you said your dad's a nephrologist my nephrologist said look you know it's a T intersection what do you want to do do you want to you know keep working the hours that you are in corporate fly around the world etc and you'll probably last two years in your current kidney and then we'll you know try to get you a transplant but there's a six-year waiting list in Australia and lots of other complications or you can try to delay it so I suppose it was a hard decision because I, I loved working in in uh, corporate I loved you know that whole environment um, and I also loved cycling I was riding about 500 k's a week back then and I, you know so my two things that I sort of loved I gave up but then I realized what I really loved and that was my family so in, in a way it was probably one of the biggest gifts I, I was ever given I always used to people used to say oh you know you've been dealt bad cards I'm like yes but actually it helped me completely changed my life and um, and spend more time with my family and now help solo entrepreneurs around the world. So, you know, it was a silver lining now, but at the time it was hard to sort of give up 
two things that I thought were my identity, which proved not to be the case. Well, I mean, that's a hell of a wake up call. I mean, so you were, let me understand this. You were cycling 500 kilometers per week. Is that what you said? Yes. That's, that's like over 300 miles a week. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was <laughs> a, a bit of an addiction. That, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. Uh, so what are you doing now for exercise? Look, I've, I've got a mountain bike that's powered, an electric mountain bike. So I do a little bit of riding and I've got into tennis and golf. Uh, so they're the things that now keep me entertained. But uh, with, with the drugs that I take for the kidney transplant, you can't go in the sun or it's advised not to. There's about a 90% chance of melanoma. So I've really got to make sure that I'm doing sporting activities that aren't directly related to the sun. And cycling is not a great one, you know spending 100 and 120 k's out in the sun is is not not advisable yeah that makes sense and your kids are you mentioned 7 18 and 5, 7 8 and 15 is that correct no no uh 17 and 15 so, so the age of your kids is what again though yeah yeah 17 and oh, 15 seven, yeah seven, and actually 15. i've got a nine-year-old and it's our furry kid which is our third one which is our dog oh <laughs> very cool <laughs> your furry kid got it <laughs> Got it. Okay. And uh, so that, those are some great ages to be able to play tennis, golf, you know, biking. So are you, are you out there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, if you could imagine um, picture what an Australian uh, 15 year old looks like, and you've probably got, you know, long blonde, blonde hair, surfy kid. That's what my son looks like. He, uh, so every minute he gets, I take him down the surf. So, um, you know, he, he loves to do that. And my daughter loves playing AFL, which is a strange football, which uh, is, you know, unique to Australia. And um, she loves playing that. So, yeah, the, you know, it's great to be part of their sport. I coach their, their sport teams. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Sport is such a, a central part, I suppose, the family and the, the culture over here. And what is that sport called? I haven't heard of that before. Uh, so it's called Australian Football. So uh, Australia, it's called AFL. It's Australian Football League. Got it. AFL. Got it. Australian yeah. Football League. Is that yes. Correct? Okay. Got yeah. it. And how is that different from regular football? Or I should say, I shouldn't say regular. I should say Western. Yeah, yeah. Or NFL or American. soccer. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's uh, if you've ever watched Gaelic football, it's probably as close to Gaelic football. But it's um, the the key difference is that it's a lot more uh, free flowing. So it's um, it's like keeping it's like soccer, but you use your uh, all of your body. So use your, you're allowed to kick it, you're allowed to use your hands, etc. So it's a sort of a faster version of soccer. That's probably the best way to describe it. But uh, just go on YouTube and have a look at the game. It's, it's quite, quite amazing game. And, but obviously I'm very parochial coming from Australia. Got it. It's just another reminder how we Americans just screwed up on that football word. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, still when we say football here, it could mean three codes. It could mean rugby, soccer, or AFL. So it depends where you live in Australia, you will uh, determine football to be a different thing. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so my understanding, someone once, once mentioned this, that Australian rugby is actually one of the, the most aggressive forms of, of rugby that's out there. Is that true? Yeah, yes. Yeah, we play, um, there's two codes. So there's union and league. And league is, uh, yeah, very aggressive. So uh, it's, think of... Um, you know, gridiron without the um, gridiron that goes the whole time without all the stoppages and no pads, no helmet. That's effectively rugby league. Got it. Okay. Wow. 
Incredible. So you got a kidney transplant How'd you, and there was a six year wait. How'd you pull that one off? Yeah. Well, uh, so if you go on the list here at six years, six to eight years, um, I tested, uh, my wife got tested. It was about a six month process and, uh, unfortunately didn't pass cause of hypertension. And then, um, I've got six mates that I do anything for. I keep a list. I read it every day. I call them, etc. And all six of them actually stuck their hand up. But I think it was one of those classic things where, you know, there's six of them in a line and then everyone steps back and there's one guy still there. And that uh, turned out to be Brendan. And um, so he said, look, I'll do it, but I don't want any fanfare. You know, I don't want to be the hero in this story, but I'll give you a kidney and that's it. And um, I didn't know, but he went through all the tests and he's, basically nearly a perfect match. So uh, the way you sort of view that is that he was out in two days and I was out in four days from having a kidney transplant, which is, you know, a record uh, that rarely happens. So the, the match was fantastic. Uh, and, you know, I've had a little complications, but other than that, it's been brilliant. So yeah, like 30 years ago, I met a guy through, um, I basically bribed him to be a mate with golf tickets. I saved his life in 99 just before my um out my marriage because he was drowning in uh, in the ocean and uh yeah lo and behold he's extended my life now in uh, 2019 with a kidney that's incredible god that gives that gives new meaning to the idea of a, of a best mate <laughs> here's an organ i happen to have another one and i technically only need one but i'm going to give this to you uh that's incredible you saved his life tell me about that yeah, well, uh, the reason I saved his life is because he was one of my groomsmen in my wedding party and I couldn't really find another with its short notice. Like, how do you find another groomsman in two days? So I thought, hey, he, we were basically about a K offshore and uh, he said, I, I can't get back. I just I can't swim. I, I'm gone. And I'm like, no, you're not. Like, we'll get you back. So, yeah, I basically brought him back. So whether he would have drowned or not, I don't know, but he was telling me that he was in a lot of trouble. So, um yeah, I'm not the muscliest guy, but I sort of summoned all my courage to to get him back to shore. And uh, yeah, he was um, a groomsman in my wedding party, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Wow. Well, if you can if you can ride 300 miles on a bike uh, per week, I think you're above average. So, <laughs> <laughs> and if you're still riding now, uh, very impressive. So kudos to you. That is uh, that's an amazing amazing story. Very inspirational. Love that. Talk to me about Build, Live, Give. Yeah, so Build, Live, Give came out of my journey. So obviously I left because of my health that we've talked about and I really struggled to build my own business. I wanted to run a business from a hospital bed. That was sort of my, my journey. So I wanted to uh, have something that was uh, location independent. It was, uh, um, you know, uh, basically, you know, fitted my lifestyle. And for five years, I really struggled. You know, I, I got, if, if, Having a successful business is like being on a major highway or a freeway. Uh, you, what do you call them over there? Highways? Highways, freeways. Freeways, where I, okay. Where I live, bumper to bumper traffic. In <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, let's, let's, uh, let's just hypothesize that you might be doing, you know, 80 mile an hour or, you know, that's what you want to keep doing. But I just got off on so many detours, you know, I, they were dead ends. They sent me back the wrong way. I just did so many things that, that weren't right. And um, going through that journey and I, I got a really good mentor in around 2016, I completely changed my business model because by then my health was getting, you know, a lot more closer to kidney failure. 
And I just came up with five things that I wish I had have done. And that's now become the centerpiece of, of what I do. So the first one is personal effectiveness, because if you run your own business, you know, time is the most critical thing. So how do you do that? The next is picking your ideal client and making sure that that is right. The third is your business model and where possible get a subscription-based business model so you're not constantly churning and burning. Uh, The fourth is around sales focus. So if you're not uh, the front and selling your business, if you don't have an offer that converts, um, you won't be successful. And the last one is a high-performing team. So you can, once you've built up all this demand, you're not a slave to your business and you actually run a business, not a job. So those five things, you know, we have a methodology and now I teach people to do that. So they can then live, which is, you know, work 30, 40 hours, spend time with kids, travel, do all the things that you probably weren't able to do in corporate. So really do that. And then also give back. So, you know, I've got a couple of charities that, that I contribute to, but you know, that's the whole premise around build, live, give. You only have a business to fund that great lifestyle. And then when you're so successful and you've got a great lifestyle, you give back to others. That's incredible. I'm just going down this list here. And so personal effectiveness, I want to understand that a little bit. Ideal client, that makes sense to me. Business model, okay. Sales focus, 100%. Um, well, unless you're in Silicon, parts of Silicon Valley. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then high performing team, 100%. So talk to me about, let's just kind of go through this. I want to understand this model. Um, very selfishly, I want to <laughs> extract some of your intelligence here so I can make sure that our pencil is sharpened. Each and every one of these, um, you know, we've gone on a, on a journey and we've invested a lot of time, a lot of money, made a lot of mistakes, but I totally understand how these are extremely important. Um, I'm really glad that you have a, a framework here. Sure. So uh, look, personal effectiveness, like I said, it's about time and really there's two key things that come out of this, or I'll say three, there is a mindset piece and whether that's whatever works for you, whether that's meditation for me, I meditate every day. I have my 24 minute nap every after my lunch every day. I have certain things that get my mindset right. And I'm also surrounded by great people in the community. Then it's what technology you're using. So dub is a great example of that. You know, why, take so long to you know type out an email which you know I, I might use the delete or backspace a thousand times when I can just quickly pick up my phone and just do a video to, to somebody and press send you know so there's brilliant technology out there that can really save you time so you're a great example of that we use Voxer for voice messaging uh, zoom which we're on for video conferencing you know the list goes on but I think there's so many brilliant tools out there that people aren't tapping into to make their time more effective. Um, and then the third one is, you know, a VA. So I've got a simple rule that, um, you know, yes, you need a computer. Yes, you need a phone. And the third thing is you need a, a virtual assistant. I think if you don't have a virtual assistant as a solopreneur, you're leaving money on the table. And, um, you know, that's essential. I ran a VA company for five years out of the Philippines. And I've still got a team of seven and I've got people based in South America. I've got people based in the Philippines. So I get support 24 seven. And when you're sitting in a hospital bed, uh, post kidney transplant, and actually before that I was on dialysis for um, three days a week for four and a half hours, you know, just to have the ability to have a thought and just talk into your phone and get someone to do that is absolutely amazing. That's why my business didn't miss a 
a beat it all while I was in hospital because I had that support, which is around the VAs. So they're the three critical elements under personal effectiveness. Awesome. Um, we, I have a virtual assistant um, and it's been a tremendous experience. It's actually, there, I actually have two. It's actually, uh, and they're sort of assistants to the key team members here at Dub. So they kind of function in a team, on a team basis. Um, and we sort of collaborate. We use Asana project management tool so we can sort yes. of assign tasks and then collaborate. We also use um, Zoom for our, our meetings, conferences. It's been very effective. Um, husband, wife team. Big shout out to Ina and Bono. Um, in the Philippines, actually, Ina is a, a tremendous content creator. She's actually a great writer and a great communicator, extremely organized, keeps our content calendar, you know, does a lot of posts for us, um, a lot of outreach, press, you know, speaking ops, a lot of pitching. Uh, so that's tremendous. And then Bono, who is a graphic designer, video editor, um, he sort of works with, with Shannon and myself. He cuts a lot of videos, does a lot of Photoshop work. Uh, and that's just been a real um, time saver for us. Um, and it's also a lot of fun because it's kind of dynamic. Here we are working with people across the globe and they work their own hours and we work ours. We have tech that connects us. And, you know, we, need, we don't need to deal with all the nuances of the water cooler and the stress and the, you know, parking and the traffic, <laughs> all that. So, um, you know, it's definitely, it gives us happiness, you know, so. Um, yeah, and it's bettering their life, you know. It's yeah. Part of the give thing is that the, these people get to work, you know, the, you know, everyone, you're lucky where you're born, right? And they did nothing except to be born in a country that, you know, sometimes has got more struggles than the one I'm lucky enough to live in. But they're great people and they get the chance to work with entrepreneurs, but they get the chance to be home with their family. So, you know, Manila traffic, and you're probably aware of it, you know, it can take you three hours one way. So six hours a day of commuting. So people are getting up three in the morning, you know, to be at their job. It's, it's just in, an enormous impact. And then that impacts the family. Whereas, you know, my VA team get to work from home. They can work the hours that they want. You know, it's, it's liberating for them. They get to support their family with a good income and it just works for everyone. So I'm a huge proponent of it. And the Coke company used to always rely on experts around the world to run their business. And I've just taken that ethos and applied it to our business, which is, you know, more of a solopreneur business, a solopreneur where you're, yes, the key person, but you've got brilliant support like a VA. So tell me about your your focus. Um, but actually before we do that, we should probably kind of punch through this list. Cause I think there's a lot of yeah, gold sure. in here. So personal effectiveness, maybe you can just kind of punch through this list, you know, quick recap, personal effectiveness, ideal client, business model, sales focus, high performing team. Yeah. So ideal client is, you know, fairly simple. A lot of people talk about it. I won't dwell on it, but it's really getting specific. And, and to me, I use a stadium. So if you look at an NFL stadium, you know, it might take 70,000 people, what you want to do is make sure that your LinkedIn profile and who you're marketing to only is really catering for one seat. You know, it might be 20 people or 100 people that you're talking to. And so often people will say to me, this is my ideal client. I'm like, well, that's 500 million people. Like, can you be more specific? If you had to invite people to a party to your house, who are the people that you're inviting? And then have a photo of that up. And every time you write a post, every time you look at your LinkedIn profile, that's who you're actually writing it to. And once you get very specific on that, it's easy to get referrals. It's easy for people to follow your content. Everything flows from that. So ideal client to me is absolutely critical. And then knowing them and researching them and then developing your offer after that. 
Now, I know it's, once again, pretty logical, but so often people develop what they love and then go to try to sell it. If you start with your ideal client first and work out their pain points and how you solve them, it's just so much easier to convert an offer. Love it. That makes a lot of sense. Business model. Yeah, so business model, you know, I work with a lot of coaches and consultants which are paid by the hour. So, and they're face-to-face by the hour. So it's a highly um, inefficient model. So my big thing is, look, you've got great experience. You want to help more people around the world. Why don't you create a membership or a, a group mentoring or group coaching where you could actually expand your skills so you can help more people, but it's on a subscription-based model. You're not paid by the hour. So, you know, that's the key thing that we do. And also, um, you know, it might be setting up an online course. It might be, you know, doing the group um, mentoring, like I said, but it's, it's saying, look, you've already got a brilliant model, but you're <coughs> serving very few people. How do we expand that? So that's how we do the business model. And the other thing is pricing. Most people undercharge, under underprice. There's a lot of mindset involved in that but just making sure that they've got the right pricing structure as well, because so many people try to get new clients all the time. It's like, well, actually, you know what? You don't have to get as many if you've got your pricing right in the first place. Absolutely. Sales focused. Yeah. So sales focus once again is, um, you know, very common. I think, uh, you know, up until your first million dollars, you've got to be the person that's selling your business. I don't believe in handing that off. Uh, but there's three key elements we look at is the mindset piece. So making sure that it's, you know, selling to me is moving someone from where they are to where they want to be as quick as possible. So, you know, be more exploratory and asking the right questions and actually looking at it from the client's point of view rather than yours to get the deal closed is really important around mindset. Then having the right systems in place. So, you know, having the use of that VA, having the use of a really good sales CRM to track things so you don't miss, because a lot of people miss on follow-up and it's, you know, money sitting on the table. They just can't, can't get that. Um, and then the last one is around the, um, the process. So just making sure that you've got the right processes in place and where you can automate as much as you, you can. So you do the face-to-face -face stuff, but you automate all the rest. So we use different platforms to do that. So they're the key things around sales focus. I could go on a lot more around um, the marketing, attraction of leads, which is mainly we do that through LinkedIn posting at the moment. It's working really well. But, you know, that's the key, key highlights for sales focus. Got it. And then a high-performing team, what does that mean? Yeah, look, a high-performing team is, um, you know, you are a business of you as a solopreneur when you start out, but as you get all the, if you follow through these elements, it's going to lead to high demand. So how do you handle that? And, you know, one way is to work more hours, to work from 70 to 80 hours a week, but then that detracts from what you really started your own business for, which is to spend time with family or whatever that is. So we say, look, keep to your 30, but just bring in experts to help you. So, you know, you said before, you know, whether it's graphic design, whether it's web development, all the things you're not great at that you've been doing because budget has been low and you haven't had the revenue, revenue sold. So now you can get experts in and we've got 400 vetted experts around the world. So when someone says, hey, I need whatever, I'll go, well, look, here's four. You go and um, pick from that four. And I know for me personally, when I was at Coke, we had the best experts in the world. I didn't have to question their ability but I can't tell you how many times I've been burned in my own business by people that said they were an expert and didn't deliver. 
and in particularly in, in the marketing realm. So we just de-risk people from that because, you know, once again, it's that, that highway. If you get a bad expert and that gets you off on a side road, you can get stuck there for a long time and you're missing that opportunity to whatever success is for you. That makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, I, it's amazing. I've gone through this process with all of these things, but we are still working on every single one <laughs> and we brainstorm a lot. I mean, just, just actually today we were brainstorming, we were, we were trying to come up with a framework um, for something that we, we found that we have been doing and we really want to work on it. And it really comes uh, down to communication of our value proposition of our offer for Dub, what Dub is, who it caters to, how it can provide a benefit to you. But specifically what this framework was, and I think Darius uh, on my team, he, he actually coined this term, which is CVM. And that's, that stands for client view uh, method. <laughs> and that means that when you're putting together an offer or a discount or a sales deck or some piece of you know, marketing collateral, some form of business communication, that it's critical to think about this and to write this and author this from their perspective, from the client's perspective. So we know all of our stuff cold. We know exactly what we do. We know what our, our systems do and everything that we can offer. We know what the features and the benefits and the pain points and the solutions and all that, but they don't because they're looking at a thousand things per day and a thousand different companies per week. And if we don't put ourselves into their mindset and to understand what their struggles are and what, what they're trying to realize um, and why they're potentially going to make some investment, if we don't make that connection and, and package it up from their perspective, we're really losing out. I totally agree. And I always look at sort of three levels. So the first level is you're looking at yourself. So features, benefits, et cetera. Two is you're looking at it from purely a revenue perspective. So how can I get this company more revenue? And I think the third level, which is the one that I'm really focusing on at the moment is, well, what does it actually mean to them personally? Know, what's the benefit? So yes, they're going to get more revenue, but what are they going to do with that? You know, are they going to pay off debt? Are they going to put their kids through school? Like what's the real driver? And once you tap into that, I think that, and you can show that your product, like, you know, brilliant videos, like I said before, uh, you know, I use double every day, but I do that with the end goal in mind, which is what do they really want to achieve out of this? And I think if you can get that loop, then that really shifts your business. It's certainly been a massive shift for me. And I think content on LinkedIn is an example of that. If you can really tap into why someone wants to use a particular platform, then I think that makes more sense rather than just thinking about, well, you know, the, the technical features of, of a particular product. Now you mentioned LinkedIn. You're, you're, it seems like you're very successful on it. You, your posts get a lot of engagement, at least what I've seen. Um, I, I don't, post a huge amount on LinkedIn, but when I do, it's intentional and I try to put something kind of valuable in there. I, I, I've noticed that I have been inspired to comment to post on some of your stuff. Um, what is your secret on using LinkedIn to network and to share content and to grow your business? Yeah, well, I suppose um, the overall theme is be human, right? I just think LinkedIn's like the old coffee meetings. You know, it just happens that they're all around the world now and they're a lot easier to do, but it's no different to meeting someone in person. So you wouldn't go up to someone in a, in a cafe lounge and say, Hey, would you mind buying me a coffee? It's like, hang on. You don't even know me. And I find the exact same thing with LinkedIn. So a lot of the cold outreach, I, I just don't resonate with that because it's, you know, it doesn't work. So what I want to do is 
give to use Gary V's, you know, give, 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 and then ask to get. So always post great, valuable content. So if you can post really good content and use smart little things like the right hashtags at mentioning the right people, always asking for a comment because LinkedIn algorithm rewards comments. So, you know, it's a social platform now. If you do those things, that will help with your post. The next is there's a certain amount of likes you need to get in a certain time period to LinkedIn to say this post is worth sharing. So if you don't get that amount of likes, so um, there's ways to do it. So we do it in groups where we, as a group, will like each other's posts. That really helps trigger the algorithm. So I can do a post that will get 500 views. I can do a post within the group, the exact same post and get 5,000. So that's really important. And then the third piece is the follow-up, which is the messaging. And that's where whoever likes and comments on your post, go back to your ideal client. If they fit that, then you ask them a simple question, which I normally say is, you know, what's your key focus at the moment? And if your key focus, their key focus aligns to what you can help them with, then you just have a dialogue, a simple dialogue conversation. So the VAs do the first part of that for me. And then when it turns into a dialogue, I get on board. And that at the moment per post is probably leading to 10 calls for me. And of those 10 calls, I'm probably converting three. So it takes me 15 minutes to post a little bit of time um, to do the, the group part of it. And then the messaging I do, and that's just, you know, how we've been so successful at the moment on LinkedIn. So, you know, that's the secret in, in a nutshell. So you mentioned, you mentioned some of the groups that you're on on LinkedIn. What, what groups are you referring to? I, I, haven't, I haven't seen a lot of success with groups, both from trying to create one and also just engaging in the existing one. Yeah, great point. And uh, look, I'm the same groups on LinkedIn. I don't see a lot of value at the moment. Um, what we do is we've created our own group and it actually sits in Slack. And what we do is use the power of a community to get the algorithm triggered. So that's what I mean by group. So we've got, you know, 60 people that are all like-minded, good values, uh, not all in the same businesses, but basically we use the power of, of them liking and commenting on posts to trigger the algorithm. And then that gets out into the broader where you're bringing in other people into your, your posts. Got it. Okay. So it's a community and you guys kind of share, engage with, with content. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah, I get it. Very cool. So, um, so you use Dub. How do you use Dub? You mentioned that you use it almost every day. That, that's amazing to hear. God, I mean, I just it's inspiring to hear something like that because we we have been through a total evolution on Dub as a platform. It's now I think in its fourth iteration, and this is the iteration we finally found it. <laughs> we we went through a big struggle in the early years of what Dub is. It wasn't called Dub. It was something different. It was for a completely different ideal. Um, client, the business model was different, but um, we sort of realized something over over a year ago, uh, which was that uh, small, medium-sized businesses and even enterprise companies um, they need a streamlined communication, and there's there's a better way. And you know, we all read, at least we should read. Readers are readers, right? But at the same time, the amount of content that now exists in the stratosphere, in the blogosphere, in our inboxes has just skyrocketed. So you know, from a communication standpoint, we need to streamline it from disseminating, delivering information, but then also from the consumer's perspective. So I'd love to hear kind of your take, your use case and how it's been successful for you. Yeah. And um, for me, it's a bit like that, you know, coffee conversation now online with LinkedIn, you know, face-to-face -face is always the best 
um, mode of communication, but my clients are global, right? And, and that's the way I want to run my business. So what's the next best option? Well, it's video, right? So, you know, we're on Zoom at the moment, but what I use is dub in sort of three key ways. One is I use it to basically um, follow up with my members. So let's say someone hasn't posted for a couple of days or if I haven't heard from someone for a couple of days, I'll use a quick dub video to engage with them, right? So instead of sending another email, which they get too many of, or another Slack uh, communication, et cetera, which is just noise, I send them a video, which they don't get a lot of, and it's me um, expressing, you know, my willing to help them. So that's the first thing. The second is the training. So, you know, I wanna share value with, within my community so I can do a quick, dub video, which is normally a screen grab. And I can also look at the analytics of that to make sure that it's resonating because I don't want to put content out to my members that doesn't work. So I can quickly tell that with dub and the analytics, whether it's working or not. And then the third one is around sales. So once again, on sales follow-up, you know, there's so many boring ways to, to get a sales follow-up. I find that when I do a video and I go back I take good notes and I always go back to say, you know, what's that personal game for them, what the gap is, and, you know, I'm here to help. If I do that in a video, I find that converts a lot better than just a, a lazy email or a lazy uh, message on a platform. So they're sort of the three key ways that I'm using Dub at the moment, and it's working incredibly well. So any, any kind of um, re recommendations, feature requests, any feedback that you have for us as we, as we build out the platform? Look, um, to be honest, nothing because the ones that I've given in the past, you've implemented. So I know that, you know, the tags, at one point I said the tags weren't in alphabetical order and you fixed that. So you've been very good at taking feedback and, and making most of the changes that I've spoken about. Um, so I think your benefit versus a lot of other platforms is um, how easy it is to use on the mobile. So I think, you know, just continuing to be leaders in that, I think is great because, you know, my business, I'm nearly there, but I want my business to be only run off my mobile phone. I don't want to use a desktop. I don't want to use a laptop in the future because I've got my ability to travel back in, in March next year. So I want to be traveling the world a lot more and I just want to run it off my mobile. So I think keep developing on, on the mobile platform. And I think maybe some of the analytics that you can get on the desktop, if I could also get those on the mobile platform, that'd probably be the one key thing that springs to mind now. Love it, love it, I wrote that down. Uh, awesome stuff, so let's see. We talked LinkedIn, we talked career journeys, we talked about your firm a little bit. Um, your, sounds like your ideal client is the solopreneur. I wanna understand why specifically the solopreneur I'm not messing that up. Yeah. So why is because I always want to mentor people that I've gone through that journey. Got it. So I haven't exited. Uh, I've, I've been an angel investor and I'm still am an angel investor, but I've never built a startup. I've never exited. I've never built a eight, nine figure business by myself, but I've built a million dollar business that I've run uh, to suit my lifestyle. So that's why I look at solopreneurs as my key market. Cause I've been through that journey and I'm confident that I can deliver for them. Okay, got, got it. One of, one of the things that I'm, I'm really connecting to um, in terms of your overall thesis is that um, there's a humanitarian component to your, your overall work and purpose. You know, I think in the title of your firm, Build, Live, Give, 
so give value. And I, I think based on your humanitarian efforts, I think it's also that philanthropic effort, which is tremendous. Um, but I think it's also about giving ourselves the lifestyle that we want. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, why do we want to be successful? Why do we want to, why do we want to be wealthy, quote unquote, it's to do the things that we want, whether it's spend time with family or whether it's to travel or to find dine. Um, speak to me about that a little bit. How, you know, what kind of recommendation can you give people to really be on that path? Yeah, look, um, you know, I was, I suppose my name's Paul. I was nearly like Saul for most of my corporate career. I, I had a daily reflection that I would read, but I wasn't living those values. It was really about generating profit for shareholders and, you know, climbing the corporate career and getting paid more money, which, which is fine. And a lot of people do it and, and that's great. But, but I realized that, you know, that didn't make me feel good about myself. You know, yes, it gave me a material benefit, but it didn't actually live to the values that I had. So, you know, due to my health, as I said, which is, you know, in a way a gift for me, I, I completely changed that. And now with my best mate giving me a kidney, I've sort of got a second life, I suppose. It's like, well, what do I want to do? How do I give back? And, I suppose the big example of that is um, my mum passed away two weeks from the same condition that I had, uh, like most of my family, and she didn't have the chances I did because she didn't get a transplant. So I'm lucky enough to have one. And even for her at her funeral, I did the eulogy. There were so many people that she'd given to. Uh, she was from a small country community. She was a huge giver. And I thought, well, instead of grieving, I I've just got to continue to give. So I think when I'm most happy, is when I'm actually giving a benefit back to others. Now I want to have a, I want to make sure my family's safe. I want to make sure I have a good lifestyle to travel and all, but that give back is where I really feel um, joy coming to my life. And uh, at the moment I, um, I've got a charity that I support, which is the purple house, which helps indigenous Australians with dialysis. And it's so difficult for them to do that. So at the moment, a percentage of my revenue goes to that. And, I suppose, you know, what I do is my overall community is giving, but then I want to set up my own foundation because I've been so blessed to have a, a healthy transplant. I've been so blessed to have all that career in corporate. Now it's my chance to sort of give back. And that's what's really, yeah, makes me feel great. It's not what car I drive or the size of my house. It's like, well, how can I help others? And, and that's what really um, matters to me. So that's why the company's called Build, Live, Give. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, how I can give back. And, um, you know, I was reading something I think recently where, where someone was sort of mentioning that their ability to give is maximized if they maximize their career and their earnings and, you know, what is it, what is it that they're able to actually make in their job essentially? Because if they can generate the maximum amount of income, then they can allocate some of that income to, um, the cause of their choice or whatever it is that they want to do in society. So obviously not everyone agrees with that. It's probably more of a trickle down philosophy. Um, it's, it's kind of a less of a, um, you know, we are uh, here to serve. Um, what, what is your take on that? What is, I mean, does everyone have their own path or what is, yeah, look, I think there is correct. I don't think there's any one, um, right path. Uh, I suppose this is a little controversial, but if I look at the biggest shareholder in Coca-Cola owns about 10% of his Warren Buffett, right? So Warren Buffett's an, an amazing person. I really, you know, value what he's done, but honestly, a lot of his revenue has been made, whereas a lot of his, his fortune has been made by filling people with sugar, 
through Mars, Coca-Cola, some of those big brands, and then collecting on life insurance, which is other key portfolios. So for me, it's brilliant that Warren's going to give away most of his money back to society, which is brilliant. But unfortunately, a lot of the way that he's collected his money, I don't think has benefited society. So if you look at Bill Gates, maybe it's a bit better because computers have you know, done some incredible things. But I just think that if you are going to generate income to then give back, I think that's great and nothing wrong with that at all. But just make sure that it's doing it in a way that's actually contributing to society and not taking it because in a way you could end up even, right? And you know, that, I don't think that's the best situation. Well, I mean, the funny thing about, about Buffett is that he practices what he invests in and he consume what he invests in. He, I, I mean, I read something about his diet and it's, it's apparently it's terrible. He has Coca-Cola multiple times a day, you know, fried foods, French fries. I think he goes to McDonald's every single day. Yeah. Burgers, you know, the egg sandwiches, that's just his thing. So he's not phased by it. You know, I, I don't know if that's, I don't know why, I don't know if that's a PR thing or if it's a reality. <laughs> Have you heard that before? Yeah, look, I've seen uh, the videos. Uh, I saw, you know, a documentary on him, and yeah, he's, you know, every day he drives through the McDonald's drive drive through, <laughs> and you know, like, and you know, like I said, Coke brought me lots of joy, and it's it's a great product in moderation. So I'm not against it, you know, per se. But you know, sugar is one of the the key. Thirty um, percent of people that have kidney failure is because of di- um, diabetes. And most diabetes, not all, but a lot of diabetes is influenced by sugar. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a big one. But I think whatever way you do it, you know, just do it in your own way. But, you know, if what I, the, the joy that it brings me, and even if it's something small, I think is great. And just do it in your own way. You don't have to follow Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, or, you know, and, and if people out there that are making lots of money and then going to give back later, that's cool as well. But I think as long as a give is part of it, and I think Americans do it much better. Your philanthropy is much better than a, a lot of other countries. And I think, you know, that's a really great trait. And that's why I love working with Americans because a lot of people are giving back, whereas I think other countries, it's probably not as pro- prominent as what you guys do. Yeah, well, appreciate that, yeah. You take 24 minute naps every day. Yes. Is that meditation? Is it a nap? Explain that. Yeah, no, um, I, I heard it on, uh, cause I think the first question a doctor should ask or a, a GP is how much sleep are you getting? I think sleep is so critical. And, and I was, I was on steroids when I first got my transplant and I just couldn't sleep at all. And my body was just, you know, I had to try to protect my body, but I couldn't sleep and it was just, I couldn't think it was, yeah, it wasn't great. So I think sleep is critical. So I heard on a podcast that you should, you know, 24 minutes is the ideal time, take a nap every day by this leading neuroscientist. So I said, well, I'll try it. So what I do is um, I have the same ocean sound every time. So I put on headphones, ocean sound, lie down, and I don't know when I go to sleep, but I know that I have the deepest sleep and the alarm goes off at 24 minutes and I feel invigorated. I go back to work and yeah, it's, I meditate at night. So that really works. And that nap during the day, both of those things combined just seem to give me more energy. Well, I read somewhere that, uh, and I, and I practice as much as I possibly can that every uh, 20 minutes of meditation is the equivalent of four hours of sleep. Really? (laughs) 
obviously it's different. I better, her. I better up my meditation then. I'm only at 10 minutes. <laughs> right. Well, I, I bet you that those, that 24 minute nap is sort of a hybrid of a nap and meditation because I mean, you can't, can you get into a deep sleep in 24 minutes? Look, I, I tell you, like I, you know, at the moment, especially with the passing of my mum, et cetera, I'm not sleeping well at night. So I'm having a lot more nightmares, but that sleep that I have in that 24 minutes, it's just like blank. I cannot remember it at all. So to me, that's by definition that I'm in a deep, deep sleep. Um, but the other one is they're saying that it's double the hours after before midnight as a rough rule of thumb. So if you get more sleep before 12 midnight, it's double the, the double the value than every hour after midnight. So, um, you know, if you can get to bed an hour earlier than what you normally do, um, scientists are, or uh, neurologists are saying that that's better for your health as well. Ah, interesting. I'll have to remember that. That, that's, that was not in line with my early days, especially building up dub from the ground up because my hours were insane. Um, <laughs> You know, wee hours in the morning, working till three, four, five in the morning, and and then going to a, a full time job at one point early, early on. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It was a process, but you're right. Sleep is critical. Yeah, and look, um, at the moment I have a four thirty call every Wednesday morning, a.m. for um, aligned with the U.S. and so yesterday, come about one o'clock in the afternoon, I, I could hardly think. So I just go back to my you know, routine tasks, just ticking the box. But I know if I get good quality sleep, have my nap, my day is very different. So yeah, I think sleep is uh, underrated. Love it. Well, listen, I really appreciate your, your time, your tips, your tricks, stories, inspiration, really motivational for me. No, look, my pleasure. It's, uh, it's great. And uh, yeah, thank you for continuing to put out a great tool which helps with those human connections. I think, you know, what you guys do is, is allow people like me to connect with people all over the world. So, um, yeah, thank you for everything that you and all your team at Dub do. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks Ruben. Great to be on. Bye-bye now. Cheers. Cheers.